Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All I can hear is fans. <laughs> uh, I mean, not the fans, the fans. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I just hear cheers of the crowd. <sighs> Take two. Good morning, church. <laughs> My name is Jamie, and I am a pastor here at Gadsden Vineyard. <clears throat> so... It is the end of May, uh, so that means we have graduations going on, right? So congratulations, class of 2020. And I know the very last part of your schooling was kind of robbed of some of its sweetness. Uh, the virus kind of dampened the celebration. And we're sorry. We're so sorry. I hope that the bitterness of this doesn't settle into you. Um, we love you and we bless you. In fact, let's bless them. Uh, may the Lord give you a double portion of strength, strength of mind and strength of body. And may he fill your hearts with more kindness than what is in the rest of our hearts combined. Amen. And uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day, where we honor the men and women who died while serving in our military. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for putting that kind of courage inside of people. And please bless the families who feel this sacrifice the most with your peace. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace, mercy, and peace. You are generous to us. Help us to hear your truth today. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the gospel lesson for today comes from John 17. And you'll see it um, in your Bibles, usually called uh, the High Priestly Prayer. And it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm glad I wrote that down. <laughs> uh, but before I read it, let's get some context for it and for where Jesus is and what's going on as he prays this prayer. So um, we have to go back to before the crucifixion. Okay, back to what we call Holy Week. Do you guys remember Palm Sunday? We talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he's coming to Jerusalem because he knows his time is coming. And he, he keeps telling his disciples this, that he's going to be put to death. And in John chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. And they're celebrating the Passover feast. And, um, and Jesus washes their feet. You know, he serves them. And then he breaks bread with them. And they eat the Last Supper together. And then Jesus uh, predicts his betrayal, and Judas leaves to go sell him out. And while they're still in this room at this table, Jesus preaches to his disciples. And that's chapters 14, 15, and 16. It's this amazing sermon, and Jesus reveals so many things to his disciples. And... He gives them a new command. In John 13, 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in this room, at this table, he serves them and he gives them this command, love one another. And he preaches to them and he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And he keeps revealing more and more about his father. And he warns them that the world is going to hate them and it will be hard for them. And then he reminds them again, don't forget my command, love each other as I have loved you. And then he tells them that they're no longer his servants because servants don't know their master's business. Now they are his friends because he's revealing everything he has learned from his father to them. And at the end of this sermon, the disciples' hearts are opened to all of this. In chapter 16, 29, they say to him, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And Jesus is so excited. He says, You believe at last. And there's an exclamation point. And he says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And now we get to chapter 17. A gem of a prayer. I'm going to read it from the ESV, but follow along with whatever translation you like. When Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested, revealed your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And amen. What a prayer. And I admit, the lectionary reading, it only went to verse 11. But how are you going to stop in the middle of that prayer? And I know that it's kind of a tangle to read because of all of the pronouns and the repetitions. All of the I and you and you and me and they and us and you gave them to me, and I'm giving them to you because they're mine, and they're yours, and what's yours is mine. So yeah, it's a bit of a tangle. But it's so worth it to read and study this prayer. Especially if you are in ministry. And especially if you are a disciple or a follower of Christ. And especially if you are alive right now and you can hear my voice, does that, does that reach everyone? I encourage all of you to read this prayer every day this week, okay? And then do it again next month. And I said that this was a gem of a prayer because it's like a gemstone. I was talking to Liz the other day about this, and if you have a cut gemstone and you steady it, you know, it's one color. Like if you have a ruby... It's one red color, like if it's a good one, okay? You have a perfect ruby. It's all the same red through and through. But when it's cut and faceted and the light hits it, it will look like different colors, right? It will look red and dark red and gray and black and white. And just when you think you know what that ruby looks like, where the highlight is and where the darks are, if you tilt it just a fraction, it changes and you see it in a new way. It's the same ruby, but it's awesome every time you look at it. And that's, 
it's like this prayer. And um, I remember as a teenager, I would often hang out at the Bentley's house. <laughs> Do you know that house in Southside that Jim is always talking about? You know, the one where he drinks like 12 cups of coffee and works on the roof for 84 hours a day. He can't figure out why he doesn't feel good. <laughs> it is a mystery. I'm just going to get up every Sunday and just roast Jim just a little bit. <laughs> well, anyway, about 30 or more years ago, because that's how much older we are, I would go to the Bentley's house because, you know, I was best friends with Laura. And, um, and the first time I went over, and it was probably to watch a cartoon like Little Mermaid or something, there were these sculpture-looking things on their end tables in the living room. And I didn't know what they were. I was like, is this some kind of pipe? And Laura was like, no, they're kaleidoscopes. Now, I'm not a fool. I'm not an idiot. I know what a kaleidoscope is. I knew what it was. I'd just never seen one like that before. Like, I had like a normal kaleidoscope, like a cardboard tube with chunks of plastic in the bottom. It was junk. Yeah. But these kaleidoscopes, and by the way, I've spelled kaleidoscope like 10 different ways and they are all wrong. <laughs> I before E except after kaleidoscope. <laughs> yes, what a word. Yeah, but the Bentley's kaleidoscopes, they were these high fancy, like handcrafted artisan mahogany and brass, um, like they were heavy. You know, there was no rattling in these things, right? And they had these glass tubes filled with, I don't know, some kind of clear syrup with these gorgeous glass bits in them and beads. And they were like the richest jewel tones you've ever seen, you know? And I remember the first time I looked into it, it was like, is this real? Like, there's no batteries in this, and this thing's amazing. And it blew me away because, like, those colors, they would move so softly in that liquid suspension. So these patterns would just float and they would never stay the same. Like you could not capture one and like look at it for too long. And it was, it was absolutely dazzling. You know, and I remember the disappointment of like, it would start to change. You'd be like, no, that one was so pleasant. You know, like, oh my gosh, it got even better. How? And I would look through those things like every time I went over there And uh, when I'd set it down, I would have tears streaming, either from like the awesome beauty that I had just seen, or maybe from holding it up to the lamp so I could get as much light in it as possible. <laughs> um, so my point is, <laughs> we should approach reading scripture with um, the enthusiasm of an idiot with a kaleidoscope, you know, and then cry from discovering the beauty or from eye damage, which everyone comes first. That's how hard I want you to study this prayer. Thank you for attending my TED Talk on kaleidoscopes. <laughs> okay. So, back to Jesus' amazing prayer. And this will not be a comprehensive study, because why would it be? We could study this prayer for decades. Um, and Jesus, he prayed a lot. And often he would go outside to be alone to pray. But sometimes he would pray where the disciples could hear him. 
right? And this time he stays inside with his disciples, now become friends. And he prays this grand prayer so that they can hear him pray for them. He's interceding on their behalf to God the Father. And the first part is Jesus praying for himself. You know, he says, Father, the hour has come. And do you remember at the beginning of John's gospel, um, at the beginning of Lent, in chapter 2, we studied the wedding at Cana. And the wedding party runs out of wine, and his mom's like, hey, we're out of wine. And Jesus is like, what do you want me to do about it? My hour has not yet come. Well, here, about three years later, here's the hour. And Jesus prays for himself, and then he intercedes on behalf of others. Like, he knows his agony on the cross is imminent. But he prays for his friends here at the table while they're still awake. Because you remember, after he prays this, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays, and he asks them to watch and pray. But they fall asleep. So here, while they're inside and at the table, he prays for them, and he prays for us for the future believers. Isn't that awesome? Like, I can't think of a better word than awesome. And I hate that that word is so overused and it doesn't mean anything anymore. But this is awesome. Jesus prays a prayer 2,000 years ago and he's asking God the Father for us. He wants us. Give them to me. I mean, we could camp out there for six years. But for today, I want to mainly look at the part where Jesus intercedes for the disciples because we can apply that to us as well. And he starts praying for them in verse 6. And it's kind of like Jesus is giving a report to God about um, how well things are going concerning the disciples. He's like, hey, you gave them to me, and I took really good care of them, They've kept your word. They know everything now. I gave them the words that you gave me. And they know the truth. So now I'm giving them back to you. And I don't think he's giving this report because God was all like, hey, Jesus, don't forget to turn in the disciples' evaluations before we wrap this up. I don't think that was the case at all. I think he's saying all of this out loud for the disciples' benefit. They need to hear this. They need to hear Jesus say this awesome stuff about them. And they need to hear what Jesus is asking for them from the Father. He's turning his ministry over to them. He's leaving the world. In verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And he goes on to say, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the disciples are to stay in the world. They are to continue the ministry. And Jesus asks the Father to protect them. Before this, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And now he is saying, keep them from the evil one. And he asks God to sanctify, to set them apart, 
to make them holy in his word, his truth. And isn't that interesting that that's what he asks for? He doesn't ask God to make them successful. He doesn't say, oh, Father, make sure they don't mess this up. And he doesn't say, Father, give them talent and charisma so they can draw in huge crowds. Like, there's nothing about ability here. He asks for God to protect them from evil. And he asks to make them good, to ordain them to this sacred office that they are now devoted to. Jesus isn't concerned about their success or their ability to do any of these. So that was the facet that caught my eye when I read it this week. Because usually I see this, I read this prayer, and I see the Jesus as mediator thing that the prayer is so well known for when he intercedes on behalf of us. And, um, well, actually, I did notice something different about that part. So let me say something on that. Um, So in case you've never heard of the word mediator or that Jesus is our mediator, um, that word means, um, I should have looked this up in a dictionary, like, (laughs) that would have been helpful. Okay, so there's God, and then there's us. And um, God is good and holy, and we, uh, you know, we chose to rebel. So we can't go to God in our own power, right, because of our rebelliousness. So we need a go-between. And Jesus is the go-between. He's the one who reconciles us to God. So does that make sense for mediator? Is that okay? Like, I'm sure it has like a legal meaning. I think it's a legal word or a business word, which is super boring, so who cares? Okay. So um, this chapter in John is called the High Priestly Prayer because in it, Jesus is the go-between, just like the Jewish high priest would be the go-between. But the new facet to that that I noticed this time while holding it up to the light (laughs) till it hurt um, was... uh, when I was studying the previous chapters, 13, 14, uh, 15, and 16, it's the sermon that he's giving his disciples, that that sermon is also Jesus being the mediator. Like, I'd never thought of it like that. Um, The sermon is Jesus speaking from God to them. And in chapter 17, the prayer, Jesus, he looks to God, and he speaks for them to God. So that was the new thing I noticed. Like, that's how rich this prayer is. It just keeps on giving. Um, So I'll I'll finish this up. Um, Jesus finishes the prayer with, O righteous Father. Right? He starts the prayer with Father. And then in the middle of the prayer, um, he calls him Holy Father. And now at the end, he calls him Righteous Father. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And I think it is so cool that he wants the disciples to hear this too. That the love from the Father to the Son, it is also in them. 
Jesus has given them the word, right? That sermon that he just gave them. It reveals the Father to them. And now he's revealing to them that they have the Father's love in them, just like he has it. And I think that's why during the sermon in the upper room, he gives them that new command. Love one another. What does he say? Something like, uh, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And I feel like we have a great, I don't want to call it an opportunity. I think it's a need. I think we have a need right now to show the world this love. Because um, the coronavirus is terrible and it robs us of life and life with each other. All the chaos and the panic and the anxiety. And, you know, the world, bless its heart, (laughs) you know, it tries to unify. It tries to bring people together during this crisis because we hear that all the time, right? We're in this together. Uh, We're going to get through this together. And it is a really nice idea. But the world can't love. It's a, a brittle sentiment at best when the world does it. But the church, Christ's believers and disciples, we have real love, the Father's love. So we should be showing the world how to do this. I don't know how. Like, if you thought the answer was coming next, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, You tell me. (laughs) But love isn't just words, you know. It's an action. So maybe stop reacting to the world and start acting out of the Father's love that is inside of you. And I mean, champion news, we can start small. We can start really easy. Maybe instead of whining about our personal liberties being temporarily inconvenienced. Personal liberties, by the way, that were given to you by the world. They are brittle sentiments at best. So maybe instead of that, you can do something for other people. Like... Wear a face covering in public and follow the arrows in stores. Those are really small, loving actions. This costs you nothing. And we can work our way up to helping out in actual generous ways. Like if you still have a job, help your unemployed friends out before they have to ask for help. Bring them a takeout, a bag of groceries or snacks, I totally need to bring my brother and his kids some snacks. (laughs) And if you all of a sudden, if you have more time on your hands than you did two months ago, and you don't have money or anything to give, like reach out to someone, pray for them, and let them know you're praying. Yeah. And have a real conversation 
with someone. Like, I know that's gross. I know it's terrifying and gross to have to talk to somebody else, but oh my gosh, we can do it. Because if we don't love each other, then the world will not know we are disciples of Jesus. And um, that isn't really an option that he gives us. Like, that wasn't in there. And obviously, there are a ton of ways that we can love each other, okay? And they don't have to all be related to the coronavirus. So if you think of any, post them. Send them to me, you know, call me out on it. Also, um, we will have to continue loving each other um, even when there's not a viral pandemic. Like, it's a good start now, but we're going to have to continue it. And, um, and I know we can because Jesus has already prayed for us to be able to do it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, you created the world, and we know you love it because you said so. And even though we rebelled against you, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for us. Thank you. And Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for being our mediator. Thank you for reconciling us to the Father. And thank you for the word you give us from the Father and for your intercession. We love your prayer, and we need it. And Holy Spirit, we know that we have the Father's love inside of us. So will you help us access this? Help us to reach for it first and not the worldly things inside of us so that we may love one another the way that Jesus commands. Thank you. We love you, God, and we trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.